From ThatShelf.com, this is Black Hole Films. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. What's a black hole film, you ask? Well, you know those films you always meant to get around to watching, but you never did for whatever reason? Well, that's what they are. And this podcast is all about embracing them and checking those films off our lists and talking about them and whatever else happens to come up. I'm Canadian filmmaker Jeremy Lalonde, and I will be your host. You can follow me on Twitter at LalondeJeremy, or check out my website, JeremyLalonde.com, for more information on me and my projects. If you like the show, please subscribe to it, rate, review it, and leave a comment on whatever platform it is you're listening. It really does make a difference in helping to get more ears tuning in. And if you like this show, check out the others on the ThatShelf.com family of podcasts. And without further delay, let's get into this week's film. This is episode 208, and today I'm joined by actress Carly Chaikin. Carly is known for her role on television's Mr. Robot, and we're going to sit down and watch a film together. All right, so we're sitting down to watch Goodfellas. I'm Jeremy. I have seen this film, but not for quite some time. And I am with... Carly Chaikin. And, and I have not seen this movie. Now, is this a movie you've wanted to see and just haven't gotten around to? Yeah, it's there. I feel like there's so many movies where you say you haven't seen them and everyone's like, oh my God, you haven't seen that. And this has been one of those. Um, and I've been wanting to see it. But it came out the year I was born. Oh, that's fun. So yeah. what what is it about? Because you, you've seen other Scorsese films, I'm assuming. Yeah. So what kept you from watching this one? I don't know. That's a good question. I just like haven't watched it. I think because it's older. Yeah. Is it, is it the length? Because it's not, it's not super long, but it's like two hours and 20 something, I think. Yeah. So it's not, but most of his movies after a certain time have all been like two hours plus. I don't right. think he's made a movie shorter than this since this movie. Interesting. Except for maybe Hugo. Hugo is probably shorter because it was more of a kid's movie. Yeah, it's weird. I just, I don't, when I was younger, I loved movies. Um, I haven't seen a lot of like the classic movies and people think it's so crazy because I'm obviously in that world. Um, But I'm so obsessed with non-unscripted stuff now that it's like all I watch. I've literally like Amazon Prime here just got Hell's Kitchen, which I'd never seen. I have been binging it. That's my my guilty pleasure right now. All I want to do is watch like crime documentaries. So that's why this is actually a good movie because it's like crime stuff too. Yeah, it's in the world. Uh, I will say without spoiling anything, uh, this movie is long, but it's fun. It's it it moves along. It's it's got a pace to it. Okay, that's good. Joe, it's not it's not like a long movie that's going to put you to sleep. I wouldn't think. Uh, okay. In terms of some long movies I've sat through, where I was just like, I can't keep my eyes open. It's hard, especially now with like attention span these days. Like Amadeus was the other one that I was thinking of, and then I saw it was three hours, and I was just like, no, thank you. <laughs> That's what well, keeps a I lot of people from these watch, classics. Right, but I could sit and watch a TV show for seven hours. You know what it is? It's the trick of, of – because of, I'm the same way. It's the trick of, like, knowing you could stop at any time, but you choose to keep going, as opposed right. to you have to sign up for this from the get-go. 
Well, also in a show, it's like an hour you're telling me a whole story and then it's like another part of the story as opposed to that one thing. Yeah, there's a rhythm. Yeah, there's a rhythm to it. Each one, you kind of know what to expect. And you, and it's kind of like a, a train where you, you can get off at any point if you want. Right. Yeah. No, sure. I, totally, I totally get that. My wife and I are the same way. She, like, she won't sit down and watch like a two-hour movie one night, but we'll watch three episodes of Handmaid's Tale or something. And it's like, you realize that was as long or longer than the movie you didn't say, we said we didn't have time for. It just feels like a big commitment. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Uh, yeah. This one, I will say without, I mean, who knows? Maybe you'll hate it. I, I think of, of, of all of the longer movies you could have picked, uh, you'll probably not regret your choice. Okay, that's good. So what do you know about Goodfellas? Not much. Not much. I know that it's like a mob, like mafia type movie. Okay, and do you know who's in it? Al Pacino, right? Oh, I'm not going to say. I'm not going to say who's in it and who's not in it. (laughs) Okay. Um, But he's in like, he, he, I will say Al Pacino has worked on Scorsese movies. Or just, is it just one he's worked on? He's worked on at least one, but I won't say if he's in this one or not. Okay. Uh, oh, I think you'll enjoy. Oh, I'm, I'm excited that you don't know the cast then. That's even more fun. Okay. Oh, it's so much fun to just dive into a movie and know I very actually, little about it. I actually really, I hate, I'll watch um, like 30 seconds of a trailer. And then if I can tell I like it, I'll turn it off because they give up, they give way too much information in that. But I love when someone just turns on a movie without me knowing anything about it. And like Ryan, my fiance, is to watch the entire thing and like know everything about it before. But I love going into movies blind. Yeah, I try to do the same thing with my kids. My kids try to watch trailers. I'm like, no, 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 just wa- like just experience it pure. Yeah. Because there's so I remember that there's a couple times like I'm sure you've had the same experience where at film festivals that's like the closest you should get because oftentimes you're just bouncing to whatever movie is available within your time frame. Uh, and so sometimes you you get to see a movie that you had no idea what it was. Right, I love that. Yeah, it's such a it's such a rare weird gift. Uh, mm-hmm. The first time I saw Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, uh, even though I'd seen like other Kaufman movies and that kind of stuff, I was literally going on a double bill with some friends, and they wanted to see. I can't remember what the movie was before, but we walked from that into that, and I hadn't looked it up yet or what it was. So that first of all, I love that movie, but second of all, seeing that movie knowing very little about it and just walking into it was like one of the best gifts ever. That's like, I'm, I'm blanking on the name. Um, Oh my God. What's the movie that won like best picture last year? Last year. Oh, not green. Oh, um, or the year before. Are you thinking of the one that was upset? The one that beat the one that beat La La Land Moonlight. No, that's a foreign film. Oh, uh, Parasite. Parasite, yeah. So I watched that movie having zero clue what it was. That, but like, you know what? No yeah, yeah. And that, that's a great way to watch that movie. Yeah. I will say, though, even having the nice thing they did with that trailer was that it didn't really give anything away. Because I remember seeing the trailer and being, huh. I, I knew I liked the filmmaker, so I wanted to see it anyway. And it had been getting good buzz. But even watching it, I'm like, I have no idea what this movie is or what's going to happen. I, and I'm so excited. I didn't know if it was a comedy, if it was like a horror movie. Like I literally had zero clue and it was yeah. amazing. 
And for that movie in particular, because and because that movie also just kind of changes what it is too. Like even after watching it, you're like, was that a comedy? Was it a dark right. comedy? Like, what did I just watch? But not in a bad way. It's not like it didn't know its tone. It's just like it was something that unlike most things. Yeah, it was great. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's dive into Goodfellas because I'm pumped. Okay. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. All right. We just finished. And? It was great. Yeah. Every time I watch a movie... It always makes me be like, why don't I watch more movies? Oh, yeah. Because I enjoy it so much. And I like, I thought it was so good. I also think a good barometer of if a movie's good or not is if you touched your phone, mm. um, which I didn't. You were right into it. I was right into it. Um, and by Al Pacino, I definitely meant like Robert De Niro. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay the, the, that's I, interchangeable but but what's funny was that pacino was actually offered de niro's part in this movie um and al pacino turned it down because of typecasting he was worried to be typecast and they ended up doing dick tracy he played this like weird character in dick tracy instead and completely regretted it <laughs> later on but um but then they ended up doing what the irishman like two years ago so you know they worked together eventually Right, and it's all, it's funny that I just assumed it was Al Pacino because, like, it's that's so him, I feel like. So he's already typecast without even being in the movie. Yeah, it works inside that. But Scorsese is using, except for Ray Liotta, I guess, he's, he's using a lot of his regulars here. He's using Paul Servino and De Niro and um, Pesci. He was uh, so good. I was also thought it was crazy that Ray Liotta was supposed to be like 21. Yeah. there. Well, even I think Pesci's character, cause this is all based on Henry Hill's a real guy. I uh, wrote a book called wise guys, which is what this movie is based on. And I think Tom, uh, Joe Pesci's character in the book when it started was supposed to be 20. Uh, and Pesci's clearly in his forties. <laughs> but, and I also liked, I always love stories too, that are based on, true stories it just makes it so much more interesting i think well and just some of the details in this like even just that the details of that last day not the last day but like the, the day he got busted at the end where it's just going through like the 8 p.m like all they're making the yeah. sauce and the helicopter and, and all the double backing for the the bag with the silencers and all those kind of things it's just all those details are so specific that you have to go, well, of course they're real. You know, they're too, they're far too detailed and specific for them to be made up. Yeah. I started the movie being like, oh, what a fun life to live. <laughs> well, just that opening, that a great moment at the beginning where he's just like, where he just freeze frames on Leota and it's just, all my life I wanted to be a gangster. And then that music kicks in. Yeah, I was like, I get it. Um, <laughs> but no, I thought it was so good. And it was just obviously like so well done and all the characters were so good. I was very into it. Yeah, this is one of those movies I saw early when I was in film school with all of my other film nerds. And there's so many things we just were, and just still today, like uh, anytime someone says something about, like the fire or clown, like that pesky bit about, oh, is it funny? Is it funny? I, am, I, am I funny? I loved that. I was laughing so much at that part. 
It was Apparently, so good. Apparently, that's go ahead. A iconic moment. Yeah. In a movie. It's a huge, and that's one that's yeah, has stuck with me for forever. And I I just read this up tonight while I was watching. Uh, apparently, that's something that Pesci took from his real life, where he there was a mobster he knew that was fucking with him, and that's like that was the whole conversation they had. But Pesci was on the Ray Liotta side of it, right? It was so good because and because I was like laughing during it, and then I was also like, oh my god, what is he gonna say? Like, what do you say to that? And just like felt his anxiety. Yeah, just all those little details, like just the Nero with all the money, just like giving everyone 20 bucks, 50 bucks, whatever it was, when you first meet him, all those little things. And apparently De Niro didn't like the, the, the feeling of fake money, so he wanted real money to be used. So the production designer had to like get $5,000 in cash out, and they had to make sure at the end of every take, everyone handed it back and keep a tally of it. That's what we should have done. Right. <laughs> our big stacks of fake money. I think fake money's come a, a ways in the last thirty years, but uh, but I imagine also, it has a, the whole intro to all the characters they did in one big oneer. Yeah, at the bar, right? Yeah, and this one, this movie's famous for the other big one or two, the one that goes in the Copacabana when he's on his first date with Lorraine Bracco, where they go through the back and through yeah. the kitchen and, and right up onto the stage. And that was, that's, that's one of those like famous shots that people have talked about for forever. Cause it, it took them like two days to light it and, and plan it and prep for it. Did they have stitches in it? Cause I felt there was one where they, someone walked by with a coat rack and I was like, Oh, that's a stitch. No, they, they did it as that's a pure, that's a, that's a clean pure one or that one. Wow. That's crazy. I mean, on Mr. Robot, we had did like so many oneers that, and did not have two days though. We had a few hours, but I know that's like to not do it with any stitches is pretty crazy. Yeah. But they, I mean, they took two days to light it, but that doesn't mean that, you know, they're sitting around waiting, you know, they're shooting other stuff while another crew is lighting that ahead. Um, but even so just like the idea of, you know, and now it's easier because you can hide lights in different ways. Like we have all those LEDs and just things that you can just like tape to ceilings. We're back. This is the 1990s. This is 30 years ago. So everything's cable. Right. You know, and film requires way more lights too. So lighting, lighting a shot like that 30 years ago, as opposed to now, uh, you, it's so much more of a pain in the ass. I can't even imagine. No. Uh, for you for you again I, I this is one of those ones where it's just like even like it, it never feels like it's two and a half hours long it feels it like really it goes, no it goes by and like like i said it's it's a fast movie that is just it's fun from the get-go soon like i said as soon as that opening scene first of all you just <laughs> just like watch i was i was trying to imagine you and that's the thing i always miss now but having to do the podcast via zoom as opposed to watching in person with people I was just trying to picture you sitting there watching, you know, you meet these three idiots, they're in this car and then the car's making a noise. Like we should pull over and we should check it. And then, but it's, and you know, they're setting it up. The joke is that they're setting up, you know, obviously a flat tire or something, but then it's the guy still alive in the trunk, but just like all the little weird details that get kind of explained later on when they show what happened that night, like just Pesci having that fucking chef's knife or whatever kind of knife that is. Yeah. 
from his mom. He just has it. It's bonkers. And then later on, when you're watching the the scene where he's like, "I gotta borrow this, ma," you just yeah. automatically laugh because you know what he's gonna do with it. Yeah, I definitely when he just started like stabbing the guy like it was nothing was like I can't watch that stuff. It really freaks me out. Terrifying terrifying but then just the way he's just so casually like stopping in his mom's house to grab a late night dinner on his way to bury a guy in the woods does his mom like she has to know right i gotta feel like in that world it's a lot of ostrich syndrome like you just like you don't ask you don't tell you don't talk about it right and uh when he was walking into the room when he thought he was going to get like made or whatever and you just know that that's not going to happen the second he walks in. Yeah, and how excited De Niro's character is for that to happen because it means they're all made, but then it's actually the I exact know. opposite, it means they're all fucked. I was wondering if that was the kind of thing to whenever I watch movies as an actor, it can be really distracting a lot of the times, but like the whole phone booth scene, I was like, did he, was that planned for him to knock the whole thing over? I don't know. A lot of it, like they, it was heavily scripted, but I think a lot, they let a lot of the dialogue and little moments get just played out and improvised just to make him more authentic. Yeah. Cause as I said, a lot of these guys like Scorsese comes from, you know, the, the part of New York where he was, you know, he lived around all these guys, all these wise guys. Right. And that's why he's always attracted to these stories. Cause these are the guys that he grew up with in the neighborhood, same as De Niro and Pesci. And so they, they know how all these people speak. Even I think there was something about how uh, I read somewhere once that on set Scorsese would tie Ray Liotta's tie for him because the costume designer just couldn't get it accurate to the way those guys would tie their ties. Mm-hmm. Just those, and just the way they, and the kind of pinky rings they wear. De Niro, I guess for every different suit he had, had a different watch and pinky ring because that's the way those guys would have been. Right. I also thought the whole part in jail was insane. Yeah. Had it just in this back room clubhouse where they got to live. Happen. But I, but you buy it, you know what I mean? You buy that there's this level of weird corruption that these guys just get, you know, they literally in a weird way, get away with murder. And they're just like, look, you got to do your time, but you're going to do it in the back room and not. That's at- true. Right. Oh, that, that happened. Yeah. Yeah, if the book is to be believed. Right. That there's like a whole back room in jail, apparently. Oh, I'm sure there's those. I I don't know if it's the same as it is now, but I mean, jails have always just been privatized in America, haven't they? Especially since then, when this is taking place. I don't know, but if I ever go to jail, I definitely want to be in that back room. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know the people that can get you in that room? That's a different world. <laughs> I need to meet them. No, but I always think of that when you think of like, you know, rich politicians going to jail and those kind of people. It's just like those people are not going to the same kind of type of jail that you or I would go to if we right. did something terrible. You know, there's some kind of like there's there's rich person jail and there's awful also, you know, mafia jail from the seventies or sixties. It was so wild. And Lorraine Bracco is so good. Isn't she amazing in this? So good. So good. And just her. Yeah. And just, and just like her arc and just the way she goes from being, you know, 
the dour girl who is attracted to the guy who is dangerous. So even just to that, again, that last day sequence where she's just following him around and totally fucked up too. Just like the Coke sweat on them is incredible in that last sequence. And the part where she was like straddling him with the gun, I like, it almost made me cry because I just, she was just so good in it. Yeah, yeah, she's she's really. I mean, there's there's other female roles, but they're all just playing, you know, the the bimbo girlfriends. Yeah. So really, she's the only big female role in the movie, but she's great. Like she, like the from the first moment you meet her, she shows up on the, in front of the cab stand and just starts beating the fuck out of him, giving him shit for standing her up. Yeah. You know, yeah, she was really, really good. In it, really good. Everyone what did you? Yeah, the thing that I always I keep on meaning to and I always forget too. It's like I, I always every time I watch this, I'm like, I gotta put this playlist on Spotify. Oh, the music was amazing. I'm doing it right now. I was thinking that the whole time. Yeah, I can't imagine. Like, I think this is '90s, so oh, music budget. Well, you gotta think that the '90s it wasn't the way just uh, like. It co- the, the the amount of cost for needle drops now compared to what it wasn't really a thing back then, right? Because people weren't making making a ton of money on soundtracks and scores. I think the way that they did, you know, at, at some point, like I remember, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou being that one movie that the soundtrack just was in the, on the top of the charts for for months and weeks, and that CD did bangers. But I think like even you look at like a movie like The Big Chill. And the soundtrack on that movie is fucking insane too. But I don't think people were paying that much money for music back then. Right. So it wasn't that hard to get, you know, a shit ton of, uh, of great. No, I mean, I'm sure it wasn't. I mean, this movie had a budget, but I think it was surprisingly uh, not, not as difficult as you would think. Not what it would be today. No, no, the amount of, I, I wonder what, the amount of money this score would cost today compared to, uh, yeah, just like looking at this, like Muddy Waters, George Harrison, The Who, Mick Jagger, Cream, The Drifters, Darlene Love, The Ronettes, The Rolling Stones, Jack Jones, Tony Bennett, Bobby Darren, Aretha Franklin, The Shangri-Las, Jerry Vale. It goes on and on. Dean Martin. Fucking great. It's an insane, and that's not even like I haven't even gone through half of it. The number of of new, I guess I don't even think is there a score in this movie. There must be a little bit of it. It's mostly needle drops, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. The music was really good. I was thinking that, especially when they're playing "Monkey." Um, is it- yeah, well, just even what what is it the when they're going through the 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 Copacabana scene the um, is it a Ronette song and then he kissed me the crystals uh, that song just yeah. it's just fun it's just <laughs> again it's like it's really hard to watch this movie and not like want to be a gangster a little bit for the That's for the what I was saying <laughs> for the for the glorification of. Uh, 
of it. Um, but at least the movie does that thing. But it's funny though. It's like you watch this, and you know the ending happens where everything goes to shit. Everyone pays the price, but you still right. walk away going, "Man, being a gangster would have been fun when the, <laughs> yeah. when the parts are good." Although I, I wouldn't like you. It's like I wouldn't be able to stomach as soon as that knife came out. It was like I'd be throwing up in the bush. Or like I can't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you definitely finish the movie being like, "Okay, I like don't need to be a gangster like that." But I definitely started it out being like, I could, I could get on with this life. I can hang in this world a little bit. Yeah. I would love to see a, like, Goodfellas 2 of him living in this normal world. Well, isn't that, that's kind of what, what's that? I never saw it, but uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan, um, not, it wasn't his character from The Sopranos, but the same actor that was in it, uh, played it. There was a TV series about a, a basically kind of like the Henry Hill story that was a wise guy that was now living a witness protection program and then basically not being able to shed his old life and, and within this like mundane lifestyle, creating his own little mafia of like regular people, but in like the most mundane, pathetic way. And I can't remember what the name of that series was. It was like one of like the original Netflix series way back when, when House of Cards was starting up. Um, is it? Yeah, I can't, I never saw it. And then I remember in like massively rave reviews, but it got enough seasons. Um, I'm trying to think of any good uh, witness protection shows. Witness protection movies. All I can think of is that one terrible... Do you hear about the Morgans? Well, My Blue Heaven. I haven't seen that movie since I was a kid. I just wanted to hear about the Morgans. That's the, yeah, that's the um, Sarah Jessica Parker one. Oh, Sister Act. <laughs> See, Sister Act. It's all comedies. Right. It's all really over the top. Um, oh, Witness, I guess, the Harrison Ford movie. Uh, that one's less uh, less uh, gangster. Usually it's because they always... I guess I guess what you're thinking of because usually they do it from the point of view of like the person who uh, is being targeted or or, or is in danger uh, that isn't innocent as opposed to like someone who has like been involved in this world then terrible shit and then ratted right. on all their friends. Uh, that's the more fun version of the, of witness protection. Right, because it's like, how do you go from? living like that to like living in the suburbs that's that's the yeah especially henry especially this character i'd love to see ray Liotta, yeah doing a sequel now where it's it's like 60 years later or 30 years later and he's still <laughs> just trying to figure it out yeah. there was the, i found an interview with him one time where he, I think he got paid like a little over half a million dollars for the right to, for his life rights for the movie. And he's like, it's chump change. I mean, like 40 grand a week back when I was in the, back in the day. Oh my God. I'm sure now right. he's thinking to like all the money that they were referencing, what that would be today. Yeah. But you gotta imagine like all of that just like came and went, you know, they spent it as easy as, as quickly as they got it. Right. Cause they thought they were, it was going to be a nonstop ever, ever flowing cash flow. You know what I mean? But $60,000 then is like what. I'll look like it up. Thousands today. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. When did this movie take place? It took place in like the seventies, right? Yeah. Seventies. And then like ended at 80. 
Yeah, I'll look it up real quick. But um, yeah, I'm always curious about that. We were just watching Anna Green Gables. Anna Green Gables cannot be a thing where you are from. Do you know what Anna Green Gables is? Mm-mm. Okay, so it's like a it's a very very famous Canadian uh, book that takes place out in like PEI. Anyway, and it's very big in Japan too for some reason. But uh, but there was a TV series that was made back in the '90s, and my daughter just read the book, so she wanted to wanted to read it. Calculate. All right, so it's uh, so sixty thousand dollars is five hundred and six thirty six thousand dollars today from nine. Oh, that's nineteen sixty. Let's say nineteen seventy five just to get a. Oh, uh, just shy of three hundred thousand. So 60,000. So not nothing. Not nothing. Yeah. So he's walking away with 40,000. So he's walking away with, you know, a uh, quarter million to a million dollars a month, <laughs> according to uh, uh, in, in today's standards. Wouldn't that be nice? But just but blowing it just as fast, right? Just blowing it and just living high. Uh, throwing it back into more drugs to to make more money because they're just chasing that eternal high of, of what they want to do. Like I love that sequence too, where they're introducing De Niro's character and he's like, he just liked to steal. Like he's just enjoyed it. Yeah, and like gives the guy money who he like took his card from. Like leaves money in his wallet. Yeah, and just how that sequence where they explain how like all their storefronts work. And how the idea that you buy this for this, you'd sell this for this. And when it it just got to the point where it's ridiculous, you just burn the place down. Yeah. It's right. Because it's like they're not living in these like big houses or doing like anything like that. They're all in small places and just like eating dinner at diners. And yeah. The people that don't know how to be rich, like even when he gets that money, when he gets out of jail uh, uh, and he comes back and, and they're showing off that house where he's got like that cave wall separates. And it's just like looking at that. It's like, that is not like, it's just it's so gaudy and ugly. Even then it couldn't yeah. have looked amazing. You know what I mean? Totally. Uh, it's just people that don't know what to do with, with a lot of money. Right. Well, because also it's like it's all cash. So you can only do so much before you like raise suspicions. Yeah. Right. Like the IRS. And when I was in high school, I worked for this HVAC company um, and they worked, did so many jobs for the, the Hamilton Mafia, which is like this other city not too far from Toronto. Uh, and there was a couple of times where I, so I've been in some of these kind of houses where you get to see just like the gaudy lavishness. Mm-hmm. They, they put like, there's one bathroom I was in where it was just like, literally there was two, I swear, golden toilets in the same bathroom, like facing each other, just in case the husband and wife had to like go number two at the same time. Um, but also, I remember just one time walking into a basement to, like, fix a pipe. And then walking, there was, like, five guys standing just around in, a, in, like, a circle just talking to each other. And they all just turned and looked at me. I was like, oh, fuck. What the fuck have I walked in on? And I just turned around, walked right back out, and just sweated bullets and going, I'm dead. That was, that was the, I, don't, I didn't hear anything. They don't know I didn't hear anything. 
I don't know whatever's going to happen to me is going to happen to me. So I went and told my boss, I'm like, I think, I don't know what happened. But I explained that I walked in. He's like, just shut the fuck up. I will find out. You're probably, you're fine. You're going to be fine. That's so scary. <laughs> it was terrifying. It was terrifying. Cause I always, I mean, cause I'm like, I'm pretty sure these are mafia. I was like 18 at the time. I was like, I'm pretty sure. And I had that like romantic flirtation idea with it. But then I remember walking into that basement and just like shitting my pants and going, Oh fuck. I know. I'm not cut out for this. <laughs> it's so scary. One time um, I was putting a air conditioner on the back of the house and we always had to like drill into the wall to place like mounting brackets. And you could, I was just trying to drill and trying to drill into the wall. And this guy just comes around and says, what the fuck are you doing? And I'm like, I just, I gotta, I, I gotta mount this. They won't, I can't drill into the wall. Like it won't, it keeps on breaking my drill bits. He's like, that thing bomb won't blow up that thing. You think your drill bit's gonna work for it? I was like, what the fuck is the house made of? I was like, I'm just gonna put this on a on a concrete slab then and do that. He's like, Yeah, yeah. That's, that's you're never gonna mount that thing, kid. Like fucking crazy. <laughs> oh my god. It's so wild. Yeah. Fun time. So that's, that's my that's my little flirtation with the mob was doing was installing <laughs> heaters and air conditioners in their, in some of their houses in in Hamilton. And just like it. I need to watch The Godfather next. Oh, you've never seen The Godfather? Well, my dad showed it to me when I was like 13 or something. And I was like, so bored. I just remember being like, what? This is the dumbest. Like, I'm so bored. I don't even know what's happening. Yeah. So I've never watched it as an adult. It's definitely slower. You'll feel the, the pace of it a lot more than this. Um, but that said, like, I would recommend watching it like on a nice rainy Sunday. It's that kind of movie where the pace is not going to bother you if you're fully alert and, right. and, and into it, but it's, it'll just kind of warm over you. It's another one of those movies that never doesn't feel like it's as long as it is. Um, mm-hmm. and I highly recommend, I just, they just put it out last year. If you do decide to watch it, this, and if you watch the first one, well, and you haven't seen it, the second one is amazing, uh, is better than the first. Interesting. And they just re-released the third one with a complete re-edit from Coppola, which makes the movie good. Uh, I I hated the third one when I first saw it, especially after watching the first two in a row, and then just being like, what the fuck is this? It's just like such a letdown. But the re-edit made it severely better. So I would definitely watched it. Yeah, I just watched it. They just put it out on Blu-ray last year and they in Amazon had it on like a Christmas special for six bucks. So I had a hard time not picking it up. It was cheaper to, to buy it than to rent it at that yeah. point. Uh, and, and really, really and put it in hesitantly going, I didn't like this the first time, but I really, really enjoyed it. So it makes it almost like a great trilogy all the way through. Interesting. Okay. But that'll take up. Do it this way. And I was thinking about this after you and I talked after we got off um, for the intro. Uh, but the uh, did you see the Irishman, the Scorsese movie that it's on Netflix? No. Uh, it's funny because it's like three and a half hours. It might be almost four hours. Yeah. Uh, and I was thinking about this when I watched it because I definitely felt the length when I was I, when I was watching that. But I thought about it I'm like if they had just. Because the structure is almost very episodic anyway, that movie, The Irishman. And if he'd have released it as four as a miniseries, like four one hours, it would have got way more eyeballs. 
Right. You know, and especially knowing that it's like most people are watching this in their homes on Netflix. Like you're already gearing towards a television oriented crowd anyway. You know, just put it in a. Why didn't they do that, you think? I don't know. Because it's like, because I think the idea is like, I mean, he did the pilot for Boardwalk Empire, but I think. You know, Scorsese sees himself as one of those film purists where it's like he's a filmmaker. You know, he makes movies. He doesn't make TV miniseries. Uh, but just but when you're when you are taking, you know, and making a Netflix movie, it's just like I don't see what the difference is. Uh, people are either going to decide to, like, find their own chapter breaks and and watch it over the span of a couple nights. But right. it's just like, but for me, it's just like you could decide where those chapter breaks are. Yeah. And I definitely think more people would have watched i would have watched it yeah although i will say his um i think i'm pretty sure he directed the whole thing he that it just came up pretend it's a city uh him and oh god who was in in leibowitz was it in leibowitz uh this series on netflix that's uh him and like a, a famous uh new, new yorker and, and just like a little weird interview documentary series that they did together i'm gonna to look it up because it's it's driving me nuts and i don't want to get it pretend it's a city um who is it uh fran leibowitch yeah not ann leibowitz um and every every episode is almost uh, i think you would appreciate it uh, just as like it's it's just interesting like there are very specific views on New York and how it's changed and the architecture and the people and they get into like oh, yeah it's really really neat it's on Netflix it's like, and they're all like twenty minutes half hour episodes What's um, it pretend it's a city okay so uh, so that is one of like Scorsese's few forays into television. Uh, but I think it's just like he just recorded a whole bunch of like times they hung out over a couple of years and then eventually him and his editor put them together into into these episode type documentary structures. Um, super, super fun, like easy watching documentary cool. series for, for on Netflix for for those who haven't seen it yet. I, I highly recommend it. I'll check it out. Uh, so what are some of your favorite classic movies? Um, Mean Girls. <laughs> um, you 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 say that laughing. That's what is that? Twenty five, thirty years old now? No, that is not twenty five, thirty. No, years it's old. twenty years though, isn't it? Mean Girls isn't Mean Girls like early two yeah. thousands? That's like fifteen years. It's almost yeah, fifteen years. Because I remember that when I was like fifteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still, isn't it crazy to think that, that it's 15 years old? It's insane. Um, Girl Interrupted is one of my favorite movies. But I don't, is that like a classic? I mean, what's considered a classic? Uh, yeah, I mean, when I think classic, I think something from... Like the 70s? 70s or before, probably, which is crazy, because everyone from that era is now 50 years old. Um. But I guess I guess now it's like you'd have to like put the definition. I mean, this this is ninety. I guess you can consider this a classic at this point now. Anything thirty years or older is probably in classic territory. Although I look at some movies like that, like Mean Girls, for me is like a classic comedy. Right. I was gonna say, is it more about like time, or is it more about just like how good a movie was? I think how, I think 
I think a move, for a movie to be a classic for me, it's got to be timeless. And the only way to test that is for a certain amount of time to have passed. Right. So then the question is, is how much time where it's like, you look at Mean Girls and it's like, even though it's 15 years ago, I wonder how much that just in terms of the way, like, because it's so of its time in terms of teenagers and whatnot, how, how it holds up. I think, but it's like, like Clueless, for example, I think is like, I just, I watched that movie as a kid and didn't understand half of what they were saying, but it was like my favorite movie. And then just recently rewatched it again and it's still unbelievable. So much fun. Well, I think with that, I mean, that one, at least the source material is based on Emma, right? So it's, it's got this classic story structure to it. Yeah. Um, I just rewatched, uh, I curated this list of films for uh, the students I was teaching this year. Uh, and on that f- list, I put Juno down. And, and so rewatched that for the first time. And, and this is the first, I've seen that movie a dozen times. Um, and it was the first time that the dialogue felt almost too stylized. In, in sections where it's just like, oh, it's almost too clever in moments with how well-worded everything is. Yeah, it's funny. My friend, um, she had gotten the script for that when it came out. And I remember us like reading it in her car and just me, be- I was like, what is this? Like, what is happening? Um, but I haven't seen that movie in a while. That's interesting. It was yeah. great. Yeah, I loved it. And so there's the first time I'm watching it. But they all, and I was worried because of some of the movies I gave them that I thought they would just love. They're just like, ugh, it's so dated. And so I was like, ugh. Like so, what else? Uh, I'm trying to remember what I gave them. They they, they didn't like uh, Hedwig and the Angry Inch. They were kind of weird on, which is this really great indie musical for those who haven't seen it. Um, what was the other one? Oh, I can't remember now. They're just, I have to look at the list, but it was just fascinating getting their opinion because they're all in their early twenties. And so just getting all of their opinions on, on those, those classic movies and and what they got or didn't get out of them was, was really, really fascinating. Uh, But they loved and appreciated some of them. I I got them to watch like some old Kurosawa movies uh, like Rashomon, which, and, and cause me too, is like, I bet you most of them have never watched a foreign film before you know and sort of for so i'm like i'm at least gonna force you to watch one that is like considered great uh yeah. and, it, and it's not also not doesn't feel like homework because i think that's also the trick is i think most people think foreign films and subtitles and black and white and it's like it's gonna feel like fucking homework so i try to right. i try to make a list of fun movies that are that are like very auteur driven that are very of their creator just to kind of like inspire them for as they're starting to make their own shit um, to be like, look, this is like a different way of looking at the, and just I, I kind of, what I did was I picked a li- like a, a selection of filmmakers uh, or writers who are just like, these are people who have a very specific point of view in their filmmaking. And so whether you like it or not, appreciate that. Right. Oh, Run Lola Run was the movie that I, I showed them that I thought they would like, and they did not. <laughs> <laughs> which, I don't know, have you ever seen Run, Lola, Lola Run? It's a German film, which is kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure book, if you if you understand that oh, reference. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and, and very, but very of the time, too. Like, it was, 
early 90s, I think. So it was like right around the time of like the big 90s indie film craze with like Pulp Fiction and, and you know, all those movies in the rise. And it has this weird like almost music video kind of vibe. It's like high energy, a lot of like techno in the background, but just kind of a weird, crazy movie that I thought they would dig and they did not. <laughs> They were just bored or what? I thought they'd think it was so cool and they didn't. And it was like, oh, I'm lame. Oh, I thought they were going to really think this movie was cool. We're like so excited to tell them about it. It fell flat. It fell so flat. I just watched One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. What did you think of that? I thought it was amazing. I I mean, at this point, it's been like a year or God, one um, but I thought it was so good. Yeah, the ending of that movie breaks my heart every time. It was really, really good. Billy and Chief. Yeah, I had a friend who was obsessed with that movie. I watched the movie a lot in high school because I had a friend who just loved it so much. I remember yeah. like the joy I got the first time. Like you realize that that scene where McNulty, Jack Nicholson's character, and you realize Chief has just been fucking with him all the whole time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's so good. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, that one's great too. So much fun. Have you seen uh to, to bring it back to Scorsese for a second? Have you seen The Departed? No. Okay, so there's a great re- this. That's a very that's a a more recent um Scorsese kind of gangster movie. Uh, that has uh, Jack Nicholson in it. I think it's the only time they work together. It's Jack Nicholson, Matt Damon, Leonardo DiCaprio, Mark Wahlberg, Alec Baldwin. Crazy fucking awesome cast. Um, It's a remake of a, I want to say it's a Korean film, but I'm, it's it's an Asian film for sure. I can't remember what, I think it's Korean film called Infernal Affairs. Uh, but his adaptation of it is fantastic and it's ridiculously fun. Did we see that? Oh, I did see that. The Departed? Yeah. <laughs> Once you started naming the people, I was like, wait, I feel like I saw that. That sounds familiar. Anyway, super fun. For those who haven't, but also Jack Nicholson is in that to bring it back around. So any final thoughts on Goodfellas? Um, I thought it was really good. I'm very happy that I watched it and it does make me want to watch other movies. Um, and I just was, I, once again, it's like sad that like you judge a movie based on if you touched your phone or not, but I like actually was just really into it and into the story and the way that he did it. And um very impressed. Yeah. <laughs> That is not a bad way to judge movies, actually, these days. Like, everyone, even me, who is just, like, when I'm with my kids, I'm like, the lights go off. We we put everything down. Like, every now and then I pick up my phone to check trivia or something for a movie I'd ever seen. And my kids give me shit. So, cause I, so I've trained them well. But yeah. uh, but I, I, I didn't pick it up very much. Because this one just warms over you. It's just hard to get lost in it. Right. There's not a lot of things where, you know, they're... There are a lot of movies where you're kind of like, oh, you could have cut that scene or like you didn't really need that. And it didn't feel like there was any of that like fluff in it. It just all felt like part of the story and really good. 
that's just that in any of it, it just feels so so steeped in character that you don't want to lose those moments. Yeah. You know, you could argue that it doesn't move the story forward, but like even just that, that you know, that moment we talked about at the beginning, the uh, I'm a clown, I'm amusing to you. Like that introduces you to Joe Pesci's character in, a, in such a unique way. Yeah, I would never cut, right. All of those. And I think that's also what's really special. Like when a movie can keep those scenes in there and have you not feel like they were... Why, why did they have to put that in there? Um, and there was definitely those scenes that felt like just important though to the story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's, and they're just pure joy. You're watching characters like live in a world and you believe it. Totally. I a hundred percent like bought into everything. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and then, and just because the authentic level of authenticity it gives Anytime something feels crazy or bonkers, you don't question it at all. You're just like, yeah, I'm sure that that does seem bonkers, but I also believe that that happened. Yeah. All I, I definitely bought into the whole thing. Like there wasn't, and like I was saying too, like being in this industry, a lot of the times watching movies or TV, I don't know if this happens to you, but I'll get like so distracted by certain things that I see on camera where I'm just like, well, the actor did that or like they did this or something that takes me out of it. And there wasn't anything in this that like bumped me where I like was brought out of the story. Yeah. My stuff's more, more logic, logistics, logic problems, but then also just characters making choices. I don't believe they'd make just yeah. making stupid choices always pulls me out and makes it, it has, and it's hard to come back from that. Um, but this one you buy because you buy like the characters make stupid moves because you know their egos are getting in their way over there right. and all those little character moments do a really good job of, of setting that up so that way when those moments do hit you you buy them right yeah well fun well thanks for joining me for goodfellas thanks for having me yeah we'll have to do it again for another one because you have some good ones yeah like Amadeus, my dad's dying for me to watch it. Oh. But that's too long. You have to watch it with him. You have to watch that one with him. Oh, God. <laughs> Let's all go to the. Thanks for joining us for Goodfellas. Black Hole Films is a proud member of the That Shelf Podcast Network. You can listen to other episodes of our show and other That Shelf podcasts on thatshelf.com. Please subscribe, leave comments, spread the word, do all the things that let others know you like the show and how they can check it out. You can find me on Twitter, at Lon Jeremy, and go to Facebook and join the group Black Hole Films. And until next time, go watch something you've never seen before. Thanks. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.